Good morning. We are thankful to be together this morning. We're grateful that you are here. If you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to go ahead and be turning to 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we will meet there in just a moment. As we begin, let me say that it is great to be together. About 10 of us were out at uh, McCroy Bible Camp last week. Uh, we are here in body this morning. Our faces may not seem like we're up and awake. And obviously, I left my voice at camp, so I'll have to ask you to bear with me uh, this morning and uh, today as we assemble together and try to share a few thoughts from God's Word. I'll do my best to, to get through everything, but, uh, you know, we enjoy our time yelling at a lot of kids all week and uh, maybe teaching a little bit, too, along the way, trying to lead singing a little bit here and there, and through all that, uh, the voice just doesn't make it like it once was. You know, that's really what I learned from camp these days is I'm not as good as I once was. You know, we're not going to quite make it through the week like we once did. I will say this, though, after listening to the sick list, if James Isom got shots in his eye, I think I'll go to camp as opposed to that because that just sounds like something uh, that I wouldn't want to be a part of or have to have done. Uh, we are mindful of all those who are sick, even uh, especially Gabby, who's away from us and away from home, but hopefully will be returning soon. Um, Miss uh, Francis also mentioned to me, at least privately, uh, but that Miss Lucille has come home to be with her, but is probably also in the last days of her life there. And so uh, we want to remember uh, Miss Francis and, and her family as well. And uh, there are lots of folks who need our prayers, um, but we're mindful of, of so many at this time. We're thankful to be together and look forward to studying this morning. I don't know how many of you have cheated already and looked at the Sunday night outline uh, in your bulletin. We hope that you can plan to be back with us. There's a lot of numbers on there. Don't think that the sermon will go too long. Uh, maybe you'll come back anyways, but we look forward to studying together tonight as well. And uh, we're just thankful to continue to add back, even as was mentioned, things like our game night and the opportunities that we have not only for fun, uh, but also for the fellowship and the study that we can have together. You know, when we think about serving God, the greatest blessing, of course, in all the world is the idea that we have salvation, that without Jesus Christ and his death and his blood, even as Robert, I should just let Robert preach, he did such a wonderful job uh, leading us in our thoughts about the, the Lord's Supper and thinking about the death of Jesus, without that, we would have no hope, so ultimately, the hope of salvation, the, the plan of salvation, maybe that's the greatest blessing that we can enjoy here on this earth of knowing, then, that we have the hope of heaven. But maybe secondly, there is the blessing of the church. You see, even at camp this week, we had a, a couple of young men who were baptized. We were thankful to, to have that happen on Thursday night, really through the, in the middle of the night into Friday morning. We were thankful for that, but we understood even as we were talking to these young men and pressing upon them the importance of baptism. One cannot be saved unless he is in Christ and had been baptized for the remission of their sins. But at the same time, a part of being a Christian, being a child of God, is assembling together with the church. It's not something that should be constraining to us, something that should be difficult, but a great blessing to know that we are a part of a family, a part of the body, a part of the church. The church was foretold of, of course. We go back to the Old Testament and we go through the, the chapter 2s, if you've heard us say it before. Isaiah chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2, Joel chapter 2, all are talking about the church the church was foretold about in the Old Testament. We come all the way forward to Acts chapter 2 and we see that the church was established. And the church is this great living and active body of people even today. It was foretold. It was established. It is the bride of Christ, described as the bride of Christ in Ephesians chapter 5 as Paul would write by inspiration and give this great parallel of Christ and the church and a husband and a wife. It's described, Paul would tell Timothy, as the house of God. 
in 1 Timothy chapter 3. He goes on there in 1 Timothy 3, 15 to say that it is the house of God, the pillar and ground of truth. And if it is God's plan to save man, if it is God's plan that to save man, not only by the blood of Christ, but in connection by the church and the church working together, then we might say there are some things that the church must or should stand for. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in verse number 13, and actually you go back before that if you turned there, in verses 11 and 12, Paul is talking about people who would have strong delusion, that they would believe a lie, that they would be condemned because they do not believe the truth. And so in verse 13, he begins to shift the thoughts then and say, but, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, therefore, because of these things, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught whether by word or epistle we're not going to go this route this morning but there are a couple phrases in there that could be confusing to some people you see the idea of God choosing us that was actually part of my topic for speaking and preaching on Wednesday night at camp this past week God's foreknowledge God has chosen people but not just arbitrarily not just by name but God has chosen a type of people those who would be obedient, those who would be chosen through salvation or through sanctification by belief in the truth and obedience. Not only that, but in verse number 15, you see the word traditions there. We're not talking about those traditions that Jesus would condemn, the traditions of men, but the things by which the Holy Spirit guided these men to write. He says, by our word or our epistle, those things we have and we are to stand fast. So this morning we're going to work through a few things here. We might could go many different routes with this or we could kind of list many things. We're going to just kind of focus in on six this morning. Things which the church should stand for. Number one, a complete return to the New Testament pattern. A complete return to the New Testament pattern. Now you in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16 you say, well wait a minute, we're going to go back to the Old Testament? Well yes, Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16, thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. We go back to the Old Testament because we see that God begins to set this precedent, this example that people would always be looking back to the pattern that he had set. You know, we talk about that even in our world today. We talk about the good old days, when things were great, when things were good. Maybe you consider things have been better before, and maybe they were in a sense. We're not just talking about the good old days in this country, but the old paths, the good ways, the way in which God has told us to walk. We just read 2 Thessalonians 2.15, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught. We should strive and stand for a complete return to the New Testament, New Testament pattern. We think about the Reformation and the restoration of the, of the 15th to the 19th centuries. We don't have time, obviously, to get into a lot of that this morning. But there is this idea that folks would be seeking to go back to the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less than what the Bible would teach. 
2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. For I am jealous for you, Paul would write, with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Returning again to what Christ has said to the New Testament pattern. To the simplicity of organization, even as we talked about, Charles led our thoughts so well this morning in talking about the organization of the church, elders and deacons and members all working together. Not only that, but the simplicity of the worship, the simplicity of the work and the simplicity of salvation and how all of these things work together. We don't just do what the elders today feel like or what the preacher thinks might be the right thing, but that we return to the New Testament pattern. If we would do that, then we would be on the right path. And that should be something that the church should stand for. Number two, we should stand for a complete return to the authority of the Bible. A complete return to the authority of the Bible. It contains all we need. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3. As his divine power has given to us all things, all all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. There are shelves upon shelves at libraries and, and bookstores of self-help books and, and books that will give you guidance. God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Your Bible may even say perfect. We talked about that in our lesson last week. True success is when we are perfect, not sinless, but we are mature, that we may be complete. The Bible contains all we need, and we should turn to it only for all that we do. We're going to be judged by it. We think about Acts chapter 17 and verse 30 and 31. As Paul is preaching that great sermon, he says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge, on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. You see, the Bible contains all we need, and we see that we will be judged by it. Jesus would say in John chapter 12, in verse number 48, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The words that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. It's not some pop quiz. It's not something that we can't know or understand. God has told us, Jesus has said, that the Bible will contain the words by which we will be judged. And not only that, we see that the alterations to it are prohibited. Let's look again at the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy 5.32. Therefore you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to it from it to the right hand or to the left. God has always had this principle. That you would follow his word and his word only. Sure, they did not have the Bible. Sure, they were not living under the New Testament. But he was saying even then, as I give you guidance, you shall stick with it and it only. Do not turn to the right or to the left. 
In 2 John, verse number 9, 2 John 9, John would write, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. You know, we make things kind of complicated sometimes. We ask people if they're faithful. We wonder sometimes if we're being faithful or not. John seems to make it pretty simple right here. If we abide in the doctrine of Christ, then we have God. And we have both the Father and the Son. But if we transgress and do not abide in the doctrine of Christ, we do not have God. Folks, we make it very difficult sometimes. We even talked with our young people this last week in our class, the one I taught, about, about we create situations. You know, well, what if? What if that, that I am about to have an accident and, and I say a four-letter word and then I have a crash? Will I be saved or not? We, we create all these what-if situational things. John seems to make it pretty simple. If you're abiding in the doctrine of Christ, we will talk about the verse in just a moment, but if you are walking in the light, then we have hope. We have faith and assurance, and we realize that we do not need to make alterations to the Word of God. Not only that, but we see throughout the New Testament that, the, that we are to reject the doctrines of men. We are to compl complete, we need a complete return to the authority of the Bible because we're also supposed to reject the doctrines of men. Mark chapter 7, verses 7 through 9, Jesus says to them that Isaiah prophesied well of the hypocrites. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Verse number 9, Jesus would say, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse number 6, Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. If we are going to stand as, as the church, if we are going to be the pillar and ground of truth, if we are going to be a light, not only to this community but to the world, we need to emphasize a complete return to the authority of the Bible. Not man-made creeds, not anything that is outside of the right or to the left, but to the Word of God. Number three, one of the things the church needs to stand for is a co complete submission to the authority of Christ. A complete submission to the authority of Christ. We think about his position. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is not, or excuse me, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Christ has the position. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, he would tell his disciples, his apostles, before he gives the great commission, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. He has the position. We should submit to his authority. But we also recognize, as we think about the church, that his authority was then delegated to his disciples, to his apostles, there in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, as he gives them the great commission. But they are far above many of us in some ways. They were guided by the Spirit. Do you remember in John chapter 16 and verse 13, as Jesus is nearing the end of his life, he gives them this great encouragement. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. What a great promise to those who would hear those words, to those men, that they would have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. 
We preachers sometimes struggle from week to week to even know what to say exactly, how to say it, what's the best lessons and, and what things we need to be sharing. Those men didn't have to worry about it. They weren't up late on Saturday or worrying through the week of what they were going to say because they had the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the promise that Jesus made to them there. And they're going to share that with the people. And of course, by extension with us today. We must stand in their word. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. As Paul is writing to those folks, he is reminding them, but if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. I hope that you're taking what I say and checking it against God's word. Not only the scripture references, but also exactly what it's meaning, what it's saying. You know, preachers don't mind to be corrected when we mess things up. We oftentimes ask for it. Be sure to mention if you think something is wrong. It actually happened at camp on Wednesday night. I preached on Wednesday night, delivered a sermon. One of the sweet young girls comes forward. I'm like, oh, here she comes and tell me I did a good job. She says, I think you got that verse wrong. I said, well... Looks like I did, huh? I got to take a little bit of humility there along the way. I simply had the wrong book, and, but I had the right uh, verses, chapter and verses, but the wrong book. But no, I didn't get mad at her and say, you know, you can't tell me that. I was wrong. I simply had written down the wrong thing, but I needed to be corrected in that way. You know, there are some preachers who don't want to be challenged. There are some folks who would teach that would say, don't tell me that. Or would gloss over some things or hoping that no one's actually checking behind them. You see, our complete submission is to the authority of Christ. That's my goal. That's what I'm trying to do. But we may not get it right every single time. And we hope that you are checking those things because that is what the church should stand for. But ultimately, we're all striving to be ambassadors of Christ. Second Timothy chapter, excuse me, Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 20. Now then, Paul would say, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. That's the goal, completely submitting to him. Number four, we would also stand for the name of Christ. You know, members of the church, as members of the Lord's church, we cannot and should not compromise with those who would cause division, with those who would wear other names. I know there are many people who are seeking to do the right thing. There are many people who are doing what they've always heard. But if we are going to stand for the church, if we're going to stand for the Bible, for the authority of Christ, then we must stand for the name of Christ. There is salvation in no other name. Acts chapter 4 in verse number 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is only the name of Christ. Colossians chapter 3 in verse number 17. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever it is we do in word or deed. We are to be Christians only. We know in Acts chapter 11 and verse 26 that they were first called Christians in Antioch. What a name to wear. You think about your name. Not Maybe it's your first name, but certainly maybe it's your last name that you bear as part of your family. And sometimes we as fathers and as parents encourage our children to wear our name well. To be a great example, do we treat the name of Christ that way? 
Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse number 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. We are to wear the name of Christ. Not only that, but to follow others is a carnal kind of thing. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians, first of all, chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, he says, I plead with you to wear the name of Christ, to be brethren by the name of our Lord Jesus. Do you remember that passage? He goes on later to say that some of them are saying, well, I'm with Paul. Well, I'm with Cephas, and they're taking the names of these brethren. And Paul would say, I'm glad that I didn't baptize any of you, except for a, a few that he mentions there by name. Why? Because Does that mean that Paul didn't want people to be baptized? Well, no, absolutely not. But Paul didn't want them to say, well, you know what? Paul baptized me. I don't know about you. You must be a second-rate Christian. I'll wear the name of Paul. Paul says, no. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Absolutely not. To wear any other name is to follow after carnal things. Even there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, Paul would say, For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Yes. You're following after earthly things, not the name of Christ. It is the church that belongs to Christ. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 as Paul is encouraging those elders, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. We talked about it again in our class this morning. Elders are held to the standard of the chief shepherd. Paul would encourage those elders and say, it's not your church. You know, people ask the preacher that sometimes. Well, do you have a church? No, I don't have a church. It's the church of God. That's what we should be following after. If we're going to stand for something, we should stand for the name of Christ and wearing the name of Christ. Number five, we should stand for the unity of all believers, not a merger of groups that are incompatible. You know, that's something that the world would have us believe today, that we should all come together because that we are to be unified. And we want to be unified in things but not what you say, what I say. Or maybe we should all be unified under the name of Christ, even though we all are teaching or saying different things. Well, first of all, the Bible does call for unity. Jesus prays for it in John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, as that is what we sometimes call the true Lord's Prayer there. Jesus prays for unity. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for all those who will believe in me through their words, that they all may be one. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this time verse 10, Paul would say, I plead with you that you speak the same thing, that there be no divisions. The Bible absolutely, without a doubt, preaches unity. You go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, as Paul talks about the body, and he uses these examples of the hand talking to the foot or the eye talking to the hand and saying, I don't need you. No, that's not how it should be. He says that there should be no schism in the body, that the members should have the same care for one another. The New Testament church was united. It was, there was oneness that was spoken of. In Daniel chapter 2, as Daniel prophesied there, Daniel 2.44, he said the kingdom, or excuse me, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, a kingdom. 
Jesus speaks there in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. I say to you, Peter, that on this rock I will build my church. Time and time again there is oneness that is described. Singleness. Ephesians 4.4, 4, there is one body. Colossians 1.18, that he is the head of the body. One head, one body. In Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, again, the, the idea of a marriage. One man, one woman for one lifetime, one Lord and Savior, one body. One Jesus, one church. Unity is described over and over again. But what we must be reminded of is it's not just unity for unity's sake, but it's unity, as we've already said, in the authority of the Bible. It's unity in Christ. But it's not unity because of what Joel preaches. It's not even unity because of what the elders at the Saudi church say. But it's unity upon the word of God, upon the Bible. If we can find that unity, we should absolutely stand for it. The unity of all believers. It's a struggle in today's world. People want to preach love and unity, but on different terms. But may we as the church stand for the unity of all believers. And then number six, may we strive for May we stand for preaching the simple gospel of Christ. When we think about what the church is trying to do, yeah, we have game night. Yeah, we open our clothes closet. We do all these other kind of extracurricular things, we might say. But are we standing for the simple preaching of the gospel of Christ? That should be the goal in all things. We're not trying to, to convert someone or have them come and be a part of the congregation here because they enjoy playing games or even just simply because they need clothes. We can do those things together and many more, but we should always be striving to stand for the preaching of the simple gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is the power of salvation. Romans 1 and verse 16. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, I preach the gospel unto you by which also you are saved. Why should we preach simply the gospel of Christ? Because that is what saves. Mark 16, 15 and 16, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. We know that that is the reason why. We also know that the Bible gives us the terms. John 8, 24, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Luke 24 and verse 47, that repentance should be preached in his name. You see, once you believe, you'll want to change your life. Change your mind and change your life. Repent of your sins. And even in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 37, as the Ethiopian nobleman on that road through that study says, here, here is water, what hinders me? Before he gets down in the water and is baptized, he makes that great confession. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And, of course, Acts 2.38, what shall we do? We realize our sinful condition. We, sin, we Our sins crucified the Son of God. What shall we do? Repent and be baptized. Those are the terms of the simple preaching, the preaching of the simple gospel. And, of course, there are promises. There's the promise of remission of sins, as Peter says there in Acts 2.38. There are all spiritual blessing, blessings, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 3. And, ultimately... We're striving for that eternal life. 1 John 2 in verse 25. And this is the promise that he has promised us. Eternal life. You see, there are, there are promises. There are terms. There is, are simple reasons. But we as the church, we can have the activities. We can have the fun. 
but we should always stand for the preaching of the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no other name, there's no other way to be saved, and that is something that we should be striving for. Knowing that God will judge by his law, and knowing that God will not be a respecter of persons, we plead with all people to return to God's authority, to return to God's way, to return to the name of Jesus in the simple preaching of the gospel of Christ. That is what we should be striving for. Through the last year, we've been caught up in a lot of different things. We have missed out on those activities that we have so loved for many years. And I look forward to getting back to them too. But may we remember the simple things that we should stand for as a part of the church. This is the only way that we can be saved. And this is the simple plan of salvation. As we are about to conclude this lesson, we will be singing to encourage you. If you are not a part of the church, if you are not a part of the saved, would you obey his simple plan of salvation? Would you be baptized for the remission of your sins, having considered the other things that are listed here? We don't take the time every single service to go through the entire list and every single verse. But if you would like to know more, we would study with you even this day. At Bible camp on Thursday night, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning by the time we got down to the water. We didn't get much sleep that night, but we rested our head with peace, knowing that we gained two brothers in Christ. Anytime, the gospel is always open. We are always willing to study with you that you would make that great commitment to following after God, to being in Christ so that you could be added to the church and have the hope of heaven. But we as Christians know that it's a struggle, that it's hard. We don't always remain faithful. Sin enters our lives. Sometimes we fall short. We mess up and we need forgiveness. We're thankful. We don't have to go down into the water time and time again, but God extends his second law of pardon. that We can repent of our sin, that we can confess our sin and pray for forgiveness, and he is willing to do just that, that we can again walk in the light as he is in the light. Maybe you're here this morning, and as we have said these things, you recognize that you're not standing for the things of God's word. We would sing to encourage you that maybe, first of all, you need to become a part of the family, or secondly, you need to come back to him, or maybe you want the prayers of the church. We would love to assist you, even now, as we stand together and as we sing.